All right, where is the poison? The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and we see who is right and who is dead. But it's all so simple. All I have to do is divine from it what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own cup or his enemies? Now a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he's given. I'm not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known that I'm not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You've made your decision then. Not remotely, because Iocane comes from Australia. As everyone knows, Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. And criminals are used to having people not trust them, as you are not trusted by me. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going. Where was I? Australia. And you must have suspected that I would have known the poison's origin, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You're just stalling now. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? How to Play, Episode 14, Citadels. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to How to Play. This podcast is about learning and teaching great games. In this podcast, I will give an explanation of how to play Citadels. This podcast is intended for use in learning how to play the game by yourself or to serve as a model of how to explain the rules for this game. This is our 14th episode. If you're joining us for the first time, we have a lot of other great games in our catalog, so go back and check it out. I started today's episode with a passage from one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies, the Battle of Wits scene from The Princess Bride, because this is exactly the kind of overthinking that goes on in the most important decision of choosing your character for each round in today's brilliant little game, Citadels. Citadels was designed by Bruno Feduti and can be considered a classic in Eurogame terms. It's 10 years old. It was designed in the year 2000. And this game's role selection, which which incidentally was borrowed from Verater and Murterer. I believe I pronounced those incorrectly. Um, but this role selection was hugely influential in, in future game designs. Most notably, its influence can be seen in the game giant Puerto Rico and its spawns, such as Cuba, of course San Juan, Race for the Galaxy, and many, many other games. This game plays between two and eight players, a huge range, and a range of which I'll talk about more in the musing sections of the show, of, of which numbers I recommend. Now, the game length greatly depends on the number of players. I'd say it's probably 10 to 15 minutes per player. You know, typically you're looking at 45 minutes to an hour, but it can last up to 90 minutes if you've got uh, a lot of new players in the game. You have seven or eight players. Complexity rating. Citadels is a solid blue square game. It's not particularly complex, but due to its theme, fantasy theme, which could turn some people off, and some of the unfamiliar mechanisms to non-gamers, this is not a game you're going to bring out with just anybody. Citadels is a solid next step game for an introductory Euro game. Um, it's probably not the first blue circle game I'd used to introduce someone to gaming, that would probably be Catan, but it would certainly be a good choice for the second or third game. It's also a great game for gamers to enjoy who just want a shorter game that accommodates a wide range of players. And it isn't particularly too much of a brain burner, but it's sure a good time. Well, 
for most people. This game can be polarizing in how people feel about it, which seems like a good musing topic, so I'll save that for later. In this show, we use a four-part structure. We'll start with an introductory hook, what the game's about, get into the meat of the rules, how do you play. Part three is the hamster, where we get into a little bit of beginning strategy. And at the end of the episode, we'll have footnotes on some of the minor rules and some musings. I'll talk about rule specifics, the expansion that comes with the standard game now, uh, the polarizing effect of Citadels, and some of the different player counts you might play Citadels with. Time for my standard disclaimer where it would be helpful if you have that game right with you or can access the net so you can look at the different cards and really see some of the different things I'm talking about. Let's get to the hook! Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Welcome to Citadels. You're a rich nobleman trying to build the greatest city in the kingdom. You're going to use your influence each turn to get the support of one of the most powerful men in the kingdom. Maybe the bishop, or the warlord, or the magician, or perhaps even the king himself. Now these allies will help you to get building plans represented on cards, and money to build these buildings. You are racing your other noblemen, or noble women, to acquire enough money and cards to build eight buildings within your city. When a player builds their eighth building, whoever has the most impressive city wins the game. Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. The turns of this game are divided into two phases, choosing an ally and building your city. First, the player who is currently allied with the king represented by the king token, which is randomly decided at the beginning of the game, gets to look at all the characters available to be taken, which can be five to eight different choices, depending on the number of players. So you'll look at these five to eight different cards. Each of them represents a character card that you want as your ally for that round. There's, for example, the king card, the bishop card, the warlord card. You look at all of those that are available, secretly picks one of those character cards that you want to use for that round, and you pass the rest to the player on your left. And this will continue until each player has a character card for that round. Now each character card has a number, one through eight. And the players take their turns in the order of these numbers. As part of the responsibility of the player currently allied with the king, with the king token, to call out the names of those characters in his most majestic voice. Number one, the assassin. And it's a good idea for him to have the manual in front of him or a player aid that shows the names of those eight characters in order. So then the player who chose to ally with the assassin by selecting the assassin character card will flip over his card and say, I'm the assassin! And that assassin player gets to take his turn. And everyone has two standard things they get to do on their turn. So they'll do those two standard things, plus they'll get to use his special assassin ability. And then his turn will be over. And when that player says he's finished, the king will say in his most majestic voice, Number two, the thief! And it may be that none of the players chose the thief. And then he would say, number three, the magician. And someone would say, I'm the magician. And he would get to do the three steps of his turn. One of which is that super duper magician ability. Then the king would say number four. And so on all the way through number eight, the warlord. Until all the players have had a chance to play their turn. Then the round is complete. All the players turn back in their character cards that they used. They're shuffled up 
They're given to the king, and the process repeats all over again. The king takes a card and passes, and everybody gets a new role. And the king goes through all of the jobs from assassin all the way to warlord. And we repeat this until one player has built eight building cards, which marks the end of the game. So now let's talk about your turn. As I mentioned, there's three steps to every player's turn. On your turn, you get two standard steps that everybody always does, and then there's one special ability based on your character card. The three steps you do on your turn is the collect resources action, you have the option to build a building, and then your special character ability. The first action you always do is the collect resources action. You have a choice of which resources you want. Do you want gold or do you want cards? Now in most cases, you'll probably choose gold. If you choose gold, you simply get two gold. Now if you're out of cards and you need to get cards, you get to pick two cards off the deck. You get to look at them, pick the one you want, and put the other one on the bottom of the deck. So that's your option. Two gold, or look at two cards and choose one. Then you may choose to build a building. You can only build one building per turn. Buildings cost the amount of large gold coins that are pictured on the left side of the card. What do buildings do? Well, most buildings really do nothing except help you win the game, because each building is worth a number of points, equal to the number of gold coins pictured on the card. So if you build a building that costs four gold, you show that by playing it face up in front of you, and really you have four victory points towards winning the game. Now there are purple buildings that are worth victory points just like normal buildings, but the purple buildings all have a special ability shown on text at the bottom of the card, and they tell you some sort of special ability you can use during the game. They're all a little bit different, but most are pretty simple and self-explanatory. The other buildings are colored with red, yellow, blue, or green little circles. Now these don't have special abilities, but they can earn you extra money, as I'll describe in a few minutes. So those are the first two things, collect resources, gold, or cards, and then second, you may build one building. The third thing you can do is use your character's special ability for that round. And all the characters have a little different special ability, and I'll discuss those in detail in just a second. You can use that character's ability once at any time during your turn. And this is important because some of the characters give you money, and you may want to get that money before you buy your building. You, you might want to get it actually after you build buildings. But that's it. That's your whole turn. The collect resources action, which is either two gold, or look at two cards and pick one, and these are the building cards. Then you may build one of those building cards, and somewhere in between those things, you can use your special character ability. Okay, we'll talk about those eight characters in just a second, but first let's look at the big picture of who wins this game. As I mentioned, the buildings are worth points equal to face value at the end of the game, but there's also two bonus ways to get points. I mentioned that someone getting to eight buildings triggers the end of the game. But also, the first person to get to that eight buildings, triggering the end of the game, gets a significant bonus of four victory points. When the end of the game is triggered, you finish that round that you're on, and the game will end at the end of the round. If any other players also manages to get up to eight buildings, then they will get a smaller victory point bonus of two victory points. The second bonus is given for balance in your city. Like I said, each city card has a little colored dot on it, either purple, blue, yellow, red, or green. And those stand for the five different categories of buildings. Remember the purple ones, call those special. The blue ones are religious, they're a church and so on. The green ones are trade buildings, they're markets. Now if you manage to get buildings 
at least one of each of those five colors, you're said to have a balanced city. And if you do that, you get a three victory point bonus at the end of the game. And obviously multiple players could earn this bonus. So that's the scoring. You count up the coins on your play building cards that are face up in front of you. Plus you get the bonus if you have eight buildings. Plus you get a three victory point bonus for having all five colors in your city. And the most points wins. So keep that in mind when you're deciding which of those buildings to purchase. Consider how many buildings you're going to try to buy and the different colors. So the object of the game is to get the most gold so that you can buy the most building cards and get the most points by the end of the game. But wait, I just said everybody gets exactly two gold or one card on their turn and then buy a building. How do you possibly get ahead in this game? Well, that's why this game's all about the character cards. Choosing the right character card as your ally at that right time. Because the characters are what's going to give you the edge in giving you either more gold or more cards, or give you the ability to stop other players from getting more gold and more cards. The draft of the character cards is the heart of the game of Citadels, and choosing the right character card is the most important decision you will make in this game. So, you'll need to know what those eight characters are. Let's talk about them now. To start with, I'm going to tell you about the colored characters. Number four, the king. Number five, the bishop. Number six, the merchant. And number eight, the warlord. Because these all work very similarly. Each of these, you'll notice, are marked behind their character number with a colored circle. The other characters are all white, but these have special colors. The king has a yellow circle. The bishop has a blue circle. The merchant has a green circle. And the warlord has a red circle. Those colors match up with the specific building that this character is associated with. Now the bishop has a blue circle because the blue buildings are all religious buildings. The warlord is red and all the red buildings are military buildings and so on. So the major thing that these four characters do is they give you extra gold for having the buildings that they like. If you have the bishop and you have two blue buildings, part of the bishop's ability is to give you one gold for each blue building you have. So the bishop will give you two gold. And this is above the two gold you can normally get for your turn, so you could get four gold on this turn. Hooray! So that's what these colored characters do. They give you extra money for having specific buildings. But they also give you a little special ability. So let's go through these four one at a time. The merchant gives you one gold for each green trade building you have, plus it gives you one extra gold. So no matter what, instead of getting two gold with the merchant, you could get three gold. That's pretty nice. The king gives you one gold for each yellow building that you have. Plus, you get to take the king token, which means you immediately take over that duty of reading whose turn it is in a highly majestic voice. Now, that's not so important, but, you know, if, if you're kind of one of those control freaks, it can be kind of a fun thing. And you get to go first in the next turn at picking the different roles, and in future turns if no one takes the king, which can be very important having the first pick of all those different characters. The Warlord gives you one gold for each red building you have, plus, and this is pretty fun, you get to go knock someone's building over, essentially destroying it, putting it in the discard pile, and taking victory points from them. The cost of doing this evil action is the price of the building minus one, meaning a one-cost building is free to knock over. A two-cost building costs you one gold to knock over, and so on. But you only get to knock over one building. 
But because of those one-cost buildings are free to knock over for the Warlord, it's typically why people will shy away from building those early in the game. Those little baby buildings just scream, Destroy me! Destroy me! Next is the Bishop. The Bishop gives you one gold for each blue religious building you have. Plus, if you're the Bishop, you cannot be targeted by the Warlord for that round because you are so holy and nobody wants to be damned for all time. Alright, the other four don't earn you money, but they have some other nifty abilities. Let's start with the Assassin. He's a lot of fun, especially if you're a sadistic kind of person. You get to choose to kill one character. Killing a character means that character loses their turn. Now, the trick is you have to choose a character and not a player. So you have to pick and say, I will kill the Bishop. Apparently the Assassin's not as worried about eternal damnation. So this has important ramifications. You can see that it's important not only to think about who each character, each player, is going to choose, but also what character the other players think you are going to choose. Because if the person who's the assassin thinks they know who you are, and you're ahead, it's very likely that you'll lose your turn. Don't forget, you, you get so excited killing somebody that you get those other two steps to your turn also get to collect resources and play their building if you'd like to. Next is the thief. The thief gets to steal all the money of one of the characters. You could say, for example, I will steal money from the king. And then the thief plays out the rest of their turn as normal, taking money or cards and playing a building if they'd like. Now here's where it's important to know that each player needs to keep their role a secret until they are announced by the king. Now, even when the person chooses to assassinate them, say I'm the bishop and somebody says, I'm going to kill the bishop. If I'm the bishop, I can't say, Sammy, you jerk, why do you have to kill me? Because I might change some people's decisions about what buildings they buy or who the thief decides to steal from, etc., etc. I have to keep that a secret. If I'm the bishop, I just have to sit there quietly annoyed. And when the king gets to the bishop's turn, he will say, it's the bishop's turn, but the bishop is dead. Let's move on, number six. And then finally, at the end of the round, when everyone has played their turn, I can say, Sammy, you jerk, why did you have to kill me? Same thing with the thief. If somebody robs me, I have to sit there quietly annoyed, and then at the beginning of my turn, when I reveal myself, then at that point, any money I have at the beginning of my turn goes to the player who played the thief. The good news is it's the beginning of the turn, so I can still collect my two gold plus any special money I might get. As the thief, you should know you can't target the assassin because he gets to go before you, or the dead character that the assassin killed. Next, the magician. Ta-da! The magician does tricks. Especially if you don't like your hand of building cards, the magician has two tricks. One lame trick, and that is to trade with the deck. Uh, so if you have two cards in your hand, you can say, all right, I'm going to ditch these and tr draw two more from the deck. Or one potentially very powerful trick. You can trade your cards with another player. And this is a player, you don't have to choose a character, which happens immediately. You can say, Joe, I want your hand. And you two get to swap cards, which can be very nasty if, say, I have zero cards and Joe has five cards. You say, ta-da, and hold your hand out to take all of his delicious cards. Of course, it's very likely someone will go, ta-da, to you next round and take the four cards you have left over. Finally, the Architect. The Architect can be very powerful. He lets you draw two building cards from the deck for free. And instead of playing just one card, you can build three of those building cards on the turn you have the Architect. 
These are both pretty good abilities. And if you look at it as a whole turn, you can get two cards, use an action to get two gold, and then build three buildings. And potentially that can be a huge turn, which is unfortunately why the architect has a nasty habit of getting a dagger in his back from the assassin or having his money pouch disappear from the thief. So those were all eight of the characters, and they were out of order, but here are all the characters in numerical order as they will play out in the game with a brief summary. Number one is the assassin, gets to kill someone or make them lose their turn. Number two, the thief, gets to steal from a character. Number three, the magician, swap cards with the deck or with another player. Number four, the king, money for yellow buildings plus the king token to go first in the next round. Number five, the bishop, money for blue buildings plus warlord protection. Number six, the merchant, money for green buildings plus one bonus gold. Number seven, the architect, two extra building cards and two extra building builds. And number eight, the warlord, money for red, plus you can knock over a building. Now let's talk about a little bit more specifically how that card draft works. Depending on the number of players, you're going to remove some of those cards so that there's just the right number. In a four-player game, for example, you shuffle the eight character cards, and one of those cards is randomly placed face down and no one gets to see it. The purpose of this is to prevent people from knowing for sure which card the first and second player took. And then in a four-player game, you take two cards from the stack and place them face up, and everybody knows then that those two characters are out of the round. So then for the king, there are five remaining cards to look at, and he's going to take the character of his choice. And then he'll pass it to his left, and the next person will have four to look at. He'll choose one from the four remaining and pass the other ones to his left. And this will continue till we get to the fourth player, who will have two cards left to choose from. He'll pick one of those, and the other is placed face down with the other face down card. So in this way, each of the four players has a card. There are two face-down characters and two face-up. And in this way, no player can know for sure which of the six available characters the four players are playing. So then the king, who is Wesley in this case, announces, Number one, the assassin. And Wesley says, I am the assassin. And he chooses to kill the king. And then he collects his resources, two gold, and he buys a building, a prison. Then he says, Number two, the thief. Well, the thief is face up. Number three, the magician. And there's silence. Well, no one took that one, apparently. And then he says, number four, the king. Well, the king is dead. Let's move on. Number five, the bishop. Oh, Fezig is the bishop. So Fezig takes two gold. He builds a church. And then he decides to take his money for that blue building that he just built. So he gets one gold. Wesley says, number six, the merchant. And there's silence. So, no one took the merchant. Number seven, the architect. Oh, it's face up, so we know nobody took that. Number eight, the warlord. And Anigo flips his card, and he says, Hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. With which he uses his warlord ability to destroy Wesley's tavern. And Wesley protests, telling him it was Count Rugen's doing, but to no avail. And then Anigo takes two gold, and he saves the money, so maybe he can buy one of those more expensive building cards in his hand next turn. And then the king says, that's the round. The round's over. And Vizzini says, inconceivable! You could not have known I was the king! And he goes on like that for quite some time because he was ticked because he lost his turn. Though as a consolation, even though Vizzini was killed, he still gets to be the king for next round. 
Fazzini randomly takes one card out, flips two face up, and the game continues until one player has built eight buildings. And at that point, you'll add the coins on the buildings, plus the bonus for who has built eight buildings, and the bonus for those who have built all five colors of buildings. And the person with the most points is the winner. Part three, the hamster. How to win the game. All right, so this game, Citadels, it's all about picking the right character at the right time. It's all about looking at those cards and deciding which is the right choice. And it's not as obvious as you might think, because a lot of times there'll be a character there that benefits you the most. And it seems like just an obvious choice. Like if you had two red buildings, you want the warlord because he's going to give you more gold. Or if you have zero cards in your hand, you want the architect. It's obvious because he's going to give you more cards. Well, yes, because hopefully that will get you in the lead. But because of the presence of the thief and the assassin, and to a lesser extent the magician, you can't become too predictable. And this is where you get to that, so I clearly cannot choose the wine in front of you moments. You're looking at those cards and you're thinking, if you take that warlord, then everyone knows you're going to take the warlord. And you will get the most money, but if you take that, someone will know that and then they will kill you with the assassin. Or maybe you get all worried about that and instead of the warlord, you take the magician and then nobody ends up taking the assassin and you just overthought yourself and cost yourself some money. So this is the fun of the game. A lot of times you have to risk taking the card that's the best card for you. But try to make a good guess of when someone is going to be gunning for you and take that card that no one will expect you to take. Another strategy tip is that the best defense is a good offense. If you're worried about being targeted, take the assassin or the thief yourself. As a side bonus, so they don't earn you extra gold, you have the knowledge of knowing that you can't be either killed or stolen from, and you get to act first or second, which can be useful to use those cards or money before they happen to disappear to one of the other players. Also, choose carefully when to use the character's special ability, either before to get money to buy a more expensive building, or afterwards, say after you build a red building, now take the money from the warlord to get that extra buck. Don't forget about those two bonuses. The rainbow balance bonus of having all five colors, keep that in mind, as well as building the eighth building first. That's four victory points. That's a lot of points. So getting either or both of these should be your goals in this game. Now you may choose to decide to ignore that balance bonus. And if you decide to do that, you might think about getting two or three of the same color, maybe two green and two yellow, and then you can really maximize the ability of some of those colored characters. Like now if I take the merchant, I'm gonna get three bonus gold, and that's gonna give you a big advantage on the other players. One more piece of advice is that you can't do very well in this game if you are picking last or second to last every single round. So if the person to your left or second to your left has the king, meaning you're picking last or close to last, you need to at some point pick that king because you can't let it stay that far away from you. You're going to have such a limited selection that you're not going to be able to pick the character that most benefits you. The other thing to know is that the draft is important strategically, not only 
for you deciding which of those characters to take, you also need to be paying attention to what's left when you get the stack of cards so that you have a good idea of what the people before you have taken as well as who the people after you might be taking. That could be important for determining, well, if you pick the assassin or the thief, who you're going to go after, especially if you're the thief, you're going to really want to be targeting that person who's got that big stack of money in front of them. Or if you're passing the assassin or the thief, you're going to want to know, all right, who who's going to be getting that assassin or the thief, and who do I think they're going to be going after? So when you get that stack of cards, don't just look for what you want. Pay attention to what's been taken and what the following players will probably take. But again, the number one thing to know about Citadels is don't become too predictable, or you'll have a predictable demise. So I hope you'll enjoy this devilishly fun and clever little card game. Good luck. Part 4. Footnotes and Musings. Alright, so first let's get to the vegetables. These are those little rules that you want to be sure not to miss, especially if you're the person running the game. Um, the number of face-up cards changes depending on the number of players. So you're going to want to check the rules. Uh, like I said, with four people, it's two. With five, it's one, and so on. About those face-up cards, an important rule that I know we forgot the first time we played this game is that the king cannot be one of those face-up cards. If he comes up as a face-up card, you take him and shuffle him back in. The reason for that is if someone ends up being the king over and over and over again, it can be really frustrating. So make sure that you remember that. The king cannot be the face-up card. Okay, here's a rule that you need to tell your players You know, in the first, second round once they're getting into it. You can't build the same named building twice. So if I have a church, I cannot build another church. I have to find a way to get rid of that card. Uh, one of the easiest ways to do that is using the magician's ability. So after you get into a round or two, you need to tell the players that. You can't build two of the same building. Next is when you get rid of a card, either from taking two and choosing one of them, the rules instruct you to put it on the bottom of the deck. Uh, same thing with the swapping with the magician. And part of that is just, it's a way to hide you know, what you're getting rid of. You'll never get through the deck. The deck is so thick, and people draw maybe you know, 10, 12 cards during a game, maybe 15. So you're not going to get through the whole deck. So putting them at the bottom of the deck, you're essentially just getting them out of the game. Let's talk about that special ability, how you can do it whenever you'd like to. And like I said, this is important because that can give you the extra buck to buy a building. So you can take that special ability before you build a building or after you build a building, but you can't take it in both ways. And sometimes there's circumstances where you'd want to do that. Like, say I'm the warlord and I have a prison face up. I may want to take that money from the prison, one buck from the prison, to build a battlefield, but now I can't get the money from the battlefield. So I either have to choose. Either I can take the one from the first building, or maybe I, if I have enough money, then I'm going to want to build that battlefield and say, now I'll take the money and get the two money. So just be careful. You can take that money either before or after, but not both. 
while we're talking about the Warlord. The Warlord can't stop the end of the game. So once someone builds that eighth building, if the Warlord says, oh, I'm going to knock over your building, you have seven, end of the game is still triggered. So it, it doesn't matter. You're going to play out the rest of the round and the game will be over. And that person will still get the bonus because they're the person who triggered the end of the game. So, you know, you wish you could take those points away from them. But for those purposes, the Warlord's ability doesn't work for stopping the game. Correction, correction. We're going to make our first how to play correction here. I was informed by two listeners, Sean and Chris, thanks guys for bringing this up, that here I made it sound like you actually could use the Warlord. In fact, there's a rule that says once a person gets to eight buildings in their city, they are completely immune from the Warlord. The Warlord may not target any player who has eight buildings. So thanks for catching that, guys, and I'm glad I could fix this. Let's talk about the king, as I alluded to in my example, that if the king is killed by the assassin, the king token still moves. And this is important because you really want that king token moving around because if it sticks with the same person too long, it can be very frustrating for the people picking last. The last vegetable I'd mention is it is useful to have a player aid with a list of the characters one to eight in order for seeing who, when you're, when you're, Picking those cards from your choices, you can really narrow it down to you know which characters the people ahead of you may have taken, as well as when you're choosing who you want to assassinate or steal from, etc. So I'll put a link to a good player aid that you know I, I think a smaller one would be nice. I'll put a link to that up on the guild. So go check that out. So those are the vegetables. Next, let's talk about the expansion. Now, normally I don't talk about expansions on how to play, but this one in the newest edition comes packaged right with the standard game, the, the newest version. It's about 30 cards. It's called the Dark City expansion, but now they decided just to package this together, which makes this game an even better value. Now, the expansion doesn't change the game a whole ton, but it does add a bit of variety if you end up playing it quite a bit. One thing I like is all the expansion cards are clearly marked with a large star, so it makes it very easy for separating it back out. The expansion offers 10 new character cards and 20 new of those special purple buildings. You need to know that you're not going to be completely swapping out. You're going to be adding just one or two of each of these things because they're kind of radically different and, and it'd be very hard to play with all of the expansion cards just because the expansion cards are a little bit funky. That's where you'll find that it really just changes 10 to 20% of that game. You're going to have one or two new characters, one or two new building cards in the deck. Um, not a whole ton, but just a little, little bit of a twist to the game. The expansion cards have cards to substitute in for numbers 1 through 8. For example, there's a witch number 1 card. So instead of using the assassin, you could swap in the witch, which does sort of a similar ability, but just a little bit different. And it's sort of the same for the other different cards. For example, the bishop, there's an abbot, which still gives you money for blue buildings, but it doesn't give you warlord protection. It gives you a buck from the richest player. So you kind of see how these just give you a little bit more variety to the game. There are also two number nine cards. Why would you want number nine cards? Well, if you wanted to play with eight players. So that's the expansion. It, it adds a little bit of a twist to the game, but really keeps the essence of the game pretty much the same. Now this game Citadels, it really has that love it or hate it sort of effect on people. 
I'd say most people really enjoy this game. There's a lot going for it. It's got that really fun, try to outguess the people you're playing with mechanic. It's a lot of double thinking and just a lot of fun interaction in the game. But I'd say there's a small percentage of people who really just dislike this game. Why do they dislike this game? I'd say a lot of times it's because of that nastiness that happens with the assassin or with that thief. You know, it is a very luck-based game, and your success or failure is completely dependent upon the actions of the other players. And sometimes they may stop you due to their cleverness, or sometimes they may be stopping you just from dumb luck. And sometimes, particularly a player who claims they really hate this game and won't play it again, is put in a situation where they lose turn after turn from the assassin, or get robbed, or maybe they die one turn and then they get their money stolen the next turn, and then they die the next turn, and they just the whole game happens like that. And sometimes this is happening because they're being predictable, but other times it can happen just because they're getting unlucky. How do you deal with this? Well, part of this is, I don't know, I, I think you just kind of have to deal with it. It's part of the game and, and laugh it off. But, you know, if the game lasts, sometimes this game can last, you know, an hour long. And if this is happening to you a lot, it can be a kind of a frustrating experience. One way to deal with this, if you have people who don't like that sort of thing or the possibility of losing turns in the game, you just are really not looking forward to that, you may want to use that witch instead. The witch doesn't make you lose your whole turn, it only makes you lose your special action. So you're only losing like half your turn. So it's probably half as frustrating as that assassin card. But for me, I think that assassin card is, is part of the fun of the game and the appeal of the game. So, you know, to take that away, I think you're taking something a little bit away from the game. But I can see where it can also be very frustrating for people. All right, let's look at the different player counts. Citadels claims to be able to play from two to eight people. Let's look at that. Well, a standard game of Citadels, to get really the true Citadels experience, I'd recommend four or five players. You know, it makes for about an hour game. You know, like I said, it's about 10 to 15 minutes per player. And the most fun part of this game is that character draft. And when it's your turn to look at that stack of characters, whether you have three or five or six, and deciding which of those characters to take. And you're you know playing that little game in your head of, well, if I take this, then he might take this. But if I take this, then, you know, and that's really pretty interesting. But the least fun part of this game is watching other people stare at those cards and go, huh, if I do that, and go through the same experience. Just sitting there and watching them play that little game in their heads can get a little boring, as well as waiting for the other players to decide which building to buy and when to use their special ability. Um, you know, that's not very interactive in the slightest. So with three or four other players, that's tolerable. But if you get to more than that, say six or seven or even eight, I think you're pushing the amount of downtime most people are willing to stand. I might try six because there's not a lot of other great six-player options out there, but that's as far as really I would recommend. Especially when you're looking with people who've never played the game before, that's obviously going to increase your playtime. So two players, how could this character draft game work with two players? That just sounds silly and ridiculous. Well, I was curious about this myself, so actually I tried it with my wife the other day, and it's great. It's really a lot of fun. Um, how it works is you have those eight character cards, 
and whoever's the king ditches one randomly, and then they pick one from the remaining seven. The next person has six cards, and they choose one, and then they bury one of the other cards, passing it back. So in this way, the other player still does not know what the second player took. And this will continue back and forth until each player has two cards and there's four down cards. So in a two-player game, in each round, you're going to get two characters and you'll play two turns, but you'll use the same pool of money and building one city. It's a little bit of a different experience, but a great game. In fact, my wife does not like the basic game with four or five people, but she really enjoyed this. She liked this a lot better um, because the assassin isn't quite as devastating. He's still powerful, but it's still kind of a 50-50 shot as you're not sure to hit. And even if you do hit the other player that they lose one of their turns, you still get one out of your two turns. The game also plays a bit quicker. You, you can get through a game in about 30 minutes. And it was just a heck of a lot of fun. Now, it's not something I'm going to play all the time, but for playing five, ten times, just breaking out something for variety with uh, as a two-player option, it's really a good game. So anybody who says Citadels doesn't play with two, I would guess they haven't tried it before. It's really a lot of fun. So overall, let me just say, if you don't own this game, it's really a great gaming value in a little tiny box. It comes in one of the smallest game boxes I own. And there's a lot of fun to be had in there, from the standard game with four or five players to even just a, a neat little two-player game. Now, it's not the deepest game in the world or the most strategic game. There's not a ton of choices, but with the right crowd, it can be a ton of fun and work very well in a variety of situations. Citadels is a great little game. That will wrap it up for Citadels, where I keep this one a little shorter after that 1830 episode from last time. If you are a regular listener, I hope you'll really consider joining our guild at BoardGameGeek and participate in the discussion there. Consider donating at my website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Consider buying one of our micro badges. They are beautiful, wonderful micro badges, and uh, they really need owners. So take one of those micro badges home today. Go on to iTunes Review or, or rate me on that one to five star rating. Now, I don't have the advantage of, of having lots of free games to give out for contests. I don't have any gimmicks for writing reviews or joining the guild. I just ask that if you like the show, you do that as a way to support the show. And I just want to let you know that I really appreciate getting any feedback from listeners. So if you enjoy the show and have the comment, or if you don't like the show, feedback is the fuel for the How to Play podcast and, and any of your favorite podcasters out there. So I really hope to hear from you listeners at the Guild or on Board Game Geek, or you can send me an email at my new email address, howtoplaypodcast.com at msn.com. So with that, I'll say goodbye for now. This has been Ryan Stern from the How to Play Podcast.